What's up, everybody? This is Grant, that cause artist. Hope everybody is doing well today. Um, I wanted to kind of go over a few things real quick before we get into the interview. Just a couple of little announcements that I've been waiting to chat about, but they're finally live, so so I can finally get into them. <laughs> so the first is Impact Recipe, and that's sort of been a project I've been thinking about doing for a while, and that's essentially free websites for nonprofits social enterprises, impact investors, really any type of social venture. And by free, I mean there's no sort of upfront cost. Uh, I've been doing web development and design for the last decade. And the one sort of big barrier I've seen for people really to, to, to get a really great web experience uh, for their users and their donors or their customers has just been the the cost up front of what I charge is like three to five grand, right? And a lot of sort of startups or nonprofits, social enterprises can't really afford that upfront cost. So I was trying to figure out a way to really get that down or eliminate it completely. And so I've tried to do that with Impact Recipe. Um, so you can find a, a lot of more details at impactrecipe.com, but I'll talk a little bit about how it works right now. So the idea is, is simple, is that the, the design and development part is is free, right? There's no upfront cost. I, I will sort of design and develop the, the site with a modern framework. I SEO optimize it. I really take all the, the skills over the last decade and kind of give you what I've been giving companies and brands. Uh, for a long time that could afford to pay sort of a, a bit of high dollar to get these uh, modern sort of web platforms built. So after that, after everything sort of is it goes live, right? You say it looks like it's good to go. There will just be a monthly fee going forward for unlimited updates, uh, site maintenance, uh, optimization, anything like that. So that's how where the company Impact Recipe will make sort of its money and it's a product and a service under the cause artist umbrella um so it, it will sort of have i'll feature sort of uh sites that that impact recipe builds and everything i'll feature that within you know cause artists social and email and it, i'll kind of blend the the two together in, in a sprinkle it in a little way it won't overwhelm anything but i think it's it, it's going to be cool to see sort of the things that we built so again, that's the first thing. And if you want to check it out, impactrecipe.com. Would love to get your thoughts and, and uh, review on it and, and just let me know. The second one is pretty cool. Also something I've been looking into for a while. And that is sort of uh, apparel for cause artists. And uh, I've been looking at it for a while, trying to find sort of, you know, an ethical manufacturer that will do sort of this sort of drop shipping and fulfillment where I don't have to incur the upfront cost and then also do the shipment and fulfillment. It's very difficult to find. But Recover Brands has has done that during the sort of COVID-19 uh, journey that we're all on. They have uh, built their platform where they are currently doing uh, fulfillment and distribution and drop shipping uh, for companies made from their uh, U.S. manufacturers. So it's all made in the U.S., all made from uh, recycled and upcycled materials. So the Cause Artist t-shirt that I'll link to in the bio that you can get is made from 50% uh, upcycled plastic water bottles and 50% recycled uh, cotton. So I I've been looking at wanting to work with them for a really long time. It was just, you know, buying everything wholesale uh, and then not understanding like how much you will ship out and having all this inventory and then I personally have to ship them out myself. I just didn't have the time and the bandwidth to do that. But since they're offering this for the next two weeks to where I can uh, spin up the Cause Artist shirt 
and they will uh, fulfill it and ship it out as orders come in. So it's a pretty great feature. I'll link to it in the bio. And if you want to purchase a Calls Artist shirt, that'd be cool. Uh, it'd be great. All proceeds will go back into obviously just keep building uh, the Calls Artist platform more and more. Um, so with that, let's get into this week's interview. And this week, we're going to chat with Maggie Kane, who is the founder of A Place at the Table, which is a pay what you can uh, cafe in Raleigh, North Carolina, one of 61 uh, pay what you can uh, cafes in the entire United States. And the model has been sort of something that I've seen in my peripheral vision for a while and just haven't really focused on it. And then I saw Maggie's TED Talk uh, about a place at the table, about the model. And it, it was really fascinating of, of how this model is being very successful of people you know, paying what they can for a meal. And the essence of it comes from her time spent at soup kitchens over the years and trying to figure out a way where food can be that community sort of bridge that brings people together from all walks of life, right? Whether you're uh, homeless, lower class, middle class, working class, upper class, politician, entrepreneur, uh, waitress, physician, mechanic, everybody needs to eat. Everybody likes to go and eat um, together and meet with people and talk to people and have a coffee or have some lunch. It's really sort of this this sort of last thing that we fit, that we have physically that we can talk to and focus um, on that person right in front of us. And as she was working at soup kitchens, that's not what it provided. Just its mission was to provide meals, right? And she thought that she wanted to build a cafe in a place where people that necessarily may not be able to afford a dignified meal can come in and still get that and have choice. And she talks a lot about that, how people uh, living in poverty um, don't have a lot of choice. All, everything is sort of, they don't have any way to express their interest in something. Everything is sort of already decided for them. And it's a couple, she makes some really amazing points. And uh, a place at the table is just something that she built out of her passion and heart over years, you know, researching and looking into how to make this possible. And it's really been successful. And I thought it was really interesting now that we've gone all going through this COVID-19 thing and restaurants are suffering, right? But, you know, a place at the table is yes, they are hurting very badly, right? And they need support like every other restaurant in our community, but they're still serving food. They're still serving their community even more so now. And I think it just goes to show how this model of pay what you can might really be the sort of evolution of restaurants and could sort of revolutionize the restaurant industry in a way that one, we think we, we maybe thought before it wouldn't work, but now we're seeing maybe that it actually this can work and it can work effectively and bring people together from all walks of the community, uh, wherever we are. So it's a really great conversation. Um, I hope you enjoy it. I learned tons uh, about a subject matter that I've been wanting to learn a lot about for a while. So I really want to thank Maggie and to all of her team at uh, A Place at the Table because they're you know, working right now as you speak, as you listen, they're feeding their community. And it's pretty amazing what, what they've been able to accomplish over the last couple of years, giving out tens and thousands of meals and tens and thousands of volunteer hours that people have committed to this cafe. And it's uh, it's pretty amazing. So I just want to thank them for all they're doing right now and all the industry workers out there that are putting in work every day. Um, it's it's uh, We're all thankful for, for what you're doing. As always, just hit me up, grant at causeartist.com if you have any uh, thoughts or requests or any feedback. Um, hope all is well and stay safe. Thanks. Bye. So usually how I like to start 
these conversations about is about an individual's journey, right? About how things along your path in life lead you to, you know, start your your passion in life, right? And for and for a lot of the guests, it's sort of some type of business or some type of social venture that their journey leads them to do. So let's talk about your journey a little bit and how it, you know, took you to to start your restaurant. I what I grew up in Raleigh, North Carolina, and and have never left. I always thought I was going to leave. I went to school in Raleigh. I went to college. I, I'm fortunate enough to have gone to North Carolina State University and and loved it. I initially didn't want to stay in Raleigh, but I I um, realized that the other school I'd applied for was negative two degrees and rainy on the weekend that yep. I went up there, and I said, nope. I will not. <laughs> survive here hard pass um what hard pass on the negative hard two pass, which is probably normal for you for your every day um you're in kansas city yeah 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 yeah, yeah. probably pretty cold there today it's, in it Raleigh, gets cold. 80 degrees yeah so. it'll, it's actually good state the high is 72 today so okay that's a yeah, good day. feeling good that's a good day but so i i figured i i needed to stay in the in the climate that worked for me and so i stayed in raleigh um went to north carolina state university and went to school actually for international relations and italian studies so i was thinking again i was going to go move abroad ready to leave north carolina uh and it's funny how things change when you least expect it i started when i was in still in school i started volunteering for for an organization. Um, it was a day shelter working with people experiencing homelessness. So we, you know, people would come in every day and have a place to be. They would walk in, they'd get a peanut butter sandwich, uh, maybe check their email. And again, a day shelter, just having a place to, to be in the day. And when I was there, I got to know just some incredible people. I got to know their stories and they got to know mine. They really became some close friends of mine. I they I graduated school. I graduated college and they many of them came to my college graduation and it was it was hysterical I mean I swear we looked like the Brady Bunch but it they were awesome they were my friends and it was that day I, I graduated college and I had no idea what I was gonna do I I still thought I'm moving abroad I'm using my my international relations degree I'm gonna go do some sort of mission work or teach English and I, I decided that day at, at graduation that I can't leave these folks. Like there's so more work to be done in this community and these people mean too much to me. And so I kept volunteering and then I, I pretty much made up a job position for me. I fundraised for my job. I, I, I stayed there and, and ran this day shelter. I became the operations manager. And so got to got to know even more people. And for me, getting to know people is is something you do over food, right? You grab dinner, you mm-hmm. grab drinks, you grab coffee. Um, and it's that time that you get to know someone. And so I began to eat with many people who were experiencing homelessness or poverty. And eating with with folks experiencing extreme poverty or homelessness means you go the soup kitchen. So our day shelter was about a mile from the soup kitchen. We'd walk down there. We would stand in line on a on a cold, rainy day. And once we got inside, we didn't get to choose what we wanted to eat. And and so we would um, hand a plate and then we'd sit down and, and eat and normally couldn't even sit together. And we'd, we'd sit down quickly, eat and then leave. And that I struggled with that because mm-hmm. 
in my life experience, I get to eat wherever I want, whatever I want to eat for however right. long. I get to know people. I get to to have a choice and, and and dignity while doing that as well as build relationship. And so at that point, I said, I want to start taking people out for meals so I can spend more time with them and, and a meal that I would want to eat as well as right. they deserve to eat. And so we'd, we'd go out to wherever they wanted to go. And, and we ended up at places that two things that, that were two things that that people had choice people could choose what they wanted to eat and then and then also where they felt seen and heard um my friend john who was experiencing poverty and i, I took him out to eat several times it was his birthday we I took him out and he said he said maggie here people see me we when i walk in someone greets me at the door right. and then i then i get to someone comes around and asks what i want to eat and then then they say bye to me on the way out People see me here. Living in poverty means you get treated as invisible a lot. People walk right by me. People literally step right over me. Um, and so here in, in restaurants, I get, I am seen and heard. Um, and then he also said, and I just want choice. So here I can choose if I want to eat chicken and waffles, or I can right. choose if I want to eat a really good healthy salad. But I have that choice. Living in poverty means you have no choice. People make every decision for you. And so it was in that moment that I said, you know, we've got to do something about this. Something has to change. I saw in Raleigh, North Carolina, I saw that people with money going one way and the people without money going the other. Mm -hmm. And and I didn't want to see that happen. I There's too many good people in this community to, to have that happen. And so I started working on a place at the table. It's pretty fascinating because the I love how you framed it where we're kind of so sometimes you have like sort of fast paced lives and you don't stop to think but like yeah at the time you really like sit down and talk to people is like when you eat when you're at some sort of table whether it's like at your house or at a restaurant or a coffee place like that is the moment in time where you can everything sort of stops right in life and and you're kind of locked into this person or, or people right in front of you. And it is this just environment that unfortunately, like we'll get into it, right? But like right now it doesn't exist anymore, right. right? So it's like even that sort of one thing that almost the last thing that brought us together right. <laughs> as human beings still is kind of gone, right? It's evaporated for now. And it's just such a, it's such an odd thing. And I think you put it into perfect perspective on on how important that is to everybody right it's not it, it's not some like now we see it as people who can't afford like uh, a place to to eat right like we now that's taken away from us so now we feel how like everybody feels every day you just get in go out move it's it's not there's no connection right so i thought that was beautifully said and i wanted to go back to, to one thing you said earlier about your time connecting with people initially when you were sort of volunteering and then you kind of created a job for yourself were a lot of people that you chatted with or made connections with were they a lot like john in a similar place they were in life if you want to go in a little bit about sort of john's you know story from his you know he had a good job and sort of he was you know living quote unquote the american dream 
so to speak, right? And then his company went down and he got laid off. And then it, you know, it wasn't something that he brought upon himself, right? Like that you think people living in poverty do, right? Is that, oh, it's their fault, so to speak. It's like, no, he did everything right. He did everything you were told to, right? Right. Had a good job, went to work, worked hard. All of a sudden, everything's like taken away from him, no fault of his own. And now he's in this position where he is lost, so to speak. Was that the same type of stories you heard yeah. As you were connecting with people. Absolutely. Um, and, and by the way, I love what you said about, about food. Yeah. I, th- I think food is our, is the one thing that we all have in common. Mm-hmm. It's what binds us together because we all have to eat and we all pretty much love to eat. If you don't love yeah. to eat, that's just yeah. odd and weird. <laughs> um, and so truly, I, I think food's that one thing that allows us to, to just be human together. But yeah, John, um, John was a good friend of mine. He, was had a great great job and was was doing well and never would have stepped foot into this day shelter until the company John worked for closed down he lost his job he couldn't pay his light bill then he couldn't then he couldn't pay rent so he got evicted and then John was on the streets and he went right to the shelter but in the shelter there's such strict rules that he couldn't apply for jobs and he couldn't you know he was surrounded by 300 other men and there's a lot more to, to, with that but with John, it, it just wasn't, it wasn't something that he could uh, live with, right? He, it, it was more trouble than it was worth and to stay at the shelter. So he stayed outside and then, then he got stuck in that cycle of poverty. It is expensive to be poor. So once you hit that, you, it's really tricky and hard to get above that level, that that uh, amount. Um, again, it's expensive to be poor. So you can't really climb the ladder once you are down. So John just kept going down. Now, John, I will tell you, John is doing fabulous and lives in New York City and has a great job. And I, I talked to him once a week or so. Um, but I saw a lot of Johns of the world. We all are a step away from poverty, all of us. But many of yeah. us have relationships that allow us not not to be in that situation. I have a ton of friends who have lost their jobs and have filed for unemployment and are mm-hmm. waiting for their unemployment. Mm-hmm. But they have parents or friends or or houses they can go right. on the couch with or um, people that will help them put them in hotel rooms or people that will, will send them a check for rent for this month. I have a list of 100 people that I could call right now and say, hey, I don't... I'm really hungry. I need a couple dollars for groceries. And people would do that. Right. Um, it, it's it, we all are a step away from poverty, and and now even more that that mm-hmm. that COVID thing has happened and all of this. We 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 all could be in this situation no matter what. Some of us just have strong relationships or just pure fortune that don't that don't allow us to be be experiencing homelessness or or live that ex- that extreme poverty. Well, I mean, that was like one of the greatest statements I ever heard is that it's ex- it's expensive to to be poor, right? Or to live in but yeah. it's such a it's such a well-crafted assessment of, you know, what day-to-day sort of life is or any little expense like is expensive. It's such it's so it's so well put. Let's talk about like the model itself, right? Cuz I think, you know, there's not many people maybe that might be aware that there might be one of these sort of pay what you can cash 
or restaurants in their their own city, right? And maybe they don't understand what the concept is. So maybe can you go into a little bit about how did you kind of come up with the concept? Was there other stuff that other places that you mimicked and said, oh, I like that model in this city. I want to kind of duplicate that here. But let's just talk about the model and like what it it exactly is. Yeah. So this was in 2014, uh, right after I started taking people out for meals and just enjoying that time. And, and and I had that epiphany that said people, there are people going one, there are the people with money going one way and the people without money going the other. I said, we've got to do something about this. And so I, I started researching. I Googled everything. Google was my best friend. I Googled everything from restaurants to nonprofits to, to uh, you know, causes for, to help people, just everything right. I could. Uh, and I found the pay what you can system. And I found that there was a greater greater organization called the One World Everybody Eats Foundation that saw and had about 60 pay what you can cafes that were across the country. All looked very different, all had different models, menus, times they were open, days they were open, but they all shared this pay what you can system that I'll explain in a minute. And so I went to visit the closest one, which was in Boone, North Carolina. So about a four hour drive from, from Raleigh, North Carolina. And I fell in love with it. I, I, I brought up, I went every month for the next five or six months and I brought a different person with me. I think I was, I think I was waiting for someone to tell me that this will never work and that I need to stop. And I was too young and, and I had no experience and all right. the things, et cetera, et cetera. But no one ever told me that. Everyone said, well, this is neat. This is cool. And they never said, go do it, Maggie, right now. But they they all said, this is neat. Really cool that this works. And so then I became good good buds and good friends with the people that ran that cafe. And we still are. We Throughout this whole COVID experience, we talk every single day just sharing what's working and what's not working. They became my greatest friends, my mentors, and I, I learned from them. I asked a ton of questions. I, I figured out what would work in Raleigh versus what worked in Boone. And and again, the cool thing with these other pay what you can cafes are they are so different and it fits where you live. It fits where you where you are. So the one, the pay what you can cafe in Boone was going to be very different than Raleigh because our populations and towns are just different. And so I brought that I brought that back about five or six months later. I said, all right, it's time for us to start working on this. So this was the end of 2014. Um, Googled again and Google said, I think you need to go apply as an LLC and become a business with the Secretary <laughs> of State. So I Googled maps where that was, went yeah. downtown and, and applied as a business. Got denied um, two weeks later and and had no idea why. It was It truly is the easiest application. So if anyone needs help, like holler at me, but <laughs> I got denied. I sent it in again. And then two weeks later we were a business. So then Google's like, you got to form a board of directors. You've got to, mm-hmm. to build a your business plan, a finance, a financial plan, all the, all the things that it takes to then apply for nonprofit status. So we did that. We formed this small vision team that then became some members of our board of directors that then helped us apply for nonprofit status. We found pro bono lawyers. We found mm-hmm. pro bono accountants, all these different folks that brought their skills and expertise literally to the table and said, this is a great idea. I want to help. Um, and so we started forming this really cool group of people. Some would stay, some would go, but, but everyone had a voice in it. Truly everyone had a voice in 
in how this nonprofit cafe would look. Um, this is this is in 2015. Sent that paperwork in in May, and we were officially a 501c3 nonprofit in November. Um, ironically, on my on my like 23rd or 24th birthday, and so we received that. And so then we could go start really truly telling the story, living our mission. And we we hosted a fundraiser. We raised five thousand dollars, and I, I swear it was it was like just my mom and my yeah, yeah. two close friends. But we raised five thousand dollars, awesome. and we were so thrilled and excited. Then we hosted information sessions, so we would go to different faith communities. We would go to different event spaces and host these information sessions. Again, we didn't have a location. We didn't have, we didn't really have much of anything. We didn't have money, but we just were starting to tell the story. And so then in 2016, we decided that we needed to start living our mission. So once a month, we went to a different nonprofit and would tell the story and bring, you know, chicken salad sandwiches that we made in someone's kitchen. And we <laughs> bring those to different nonprofits. We'd learn about the good work they were doing and then tell them about what we wanted to do. Mm-hmm. And so we did that once a month and developed relationships with people experiencing poverty or other nonprofits that are in the same world we're in. And at the same time, once a month, we started popping our concept up because we said, yes, we can go and have fun information sessions to people with money. We can go to nonprofits and we can do it this way too, but we need to bring and bridge the gap and bring everyone together. So we started doing these pay what you can pop up Saturday brunches. We called it second Saturday brunch. Mm -hmm. And every second Saturday, we found a different restaurant in downtown Raleigh and we popped our concept up and people came, ate together and paid what they could at the end of it. The first one was a disaster. Again, we probably had 50 people. The model barely worked. Um, But then the next one had 75 people. And the next one had a hundred people and mm-hmm. then 150. And by the end of it, our last one, we had about 400 people coming out wow. to these and, and it, the model worked. I have this, we have this great picture on the wall at a place at the table of our governor, our governor's wife sitting at a, at a commu- long community table with a guy I know who sleeps under a bridge, a girl I know who lives in poverty with her two kids, um, a friend that I work out with in the morning, and all these different people sitting together and sharing a meal Amazing. at this restaurant. And then they paid what they could. And so we saw that the community wanted this and, and saw the need. In uh, two years later, 2017, we, in 2017, our landlord, our current landlord came to us and said, I think we have a space for you. And so that is when, when we finally found a space and, and opened January of 2018. But our story really is this three and a half, four years of, of, I say not fundraising, but friend raising mm-hmm. truly just Love it. Building the community that now makes it possible every single day. That now are diners, donors, volunteers. That now are a reason that we are we are still successful throughout this COVID just trauma. Right? It, mm-hmm. We could have been shut down, but we won't be because because of our community that that we were able to fortunately build over over three and a half years. So what? What? Let's unfortunately let's dive a little bit into that. Is what is sort of the essence of the restaurant right now is it, yeah. it is there people still in the restaurant that are still making the food and then it's curbs it's you know it's obviously just bring it outside is that kind of the model that you guys have just had the had to have the approach of because it's what's the city of Raleigh now is there a state sort of 
stay-at-home law or is the city set it or is it because yeah. i know like states and cities some are like different right now yeah we definitely have a stay-at-home law um it's only services that are essential we so that is grocery stores restaurants mm-hmm. takeout restaurants pharmacies and and hospitals or doctors so we are included in that uh, fortunately. So we, we are able to be open. We, you drive up, you can call your order in, you can park and get out. Um, we have six, six foot lines and and X's on our sidewalk that people can Mm -hmm. stand in line and order their food. We have a limited menu, but it's still dignified and allows you to have choice and it allows you to, um, have a good hearty meal as well. And so we will bring that out for you, fully gloved, fully masked, all the things that are necessary and put it on a table for you to then take and, and move on about your day. So we, it's, it's definitely different than our everyday. Our cafe is so community based. So when you walk into a place, a table, normally, um, aside from the shutdown, you will be greeted immediately by a door greeter. And you'll get up to the register. You'll see a full menu full of different, tons of different options. And you'll order whatever you want. And then the person behind the register will say, your suggested price is, would you like mm. to pay that price less or volunteer for your meal? And so we see about 70% of our diners normally are either paying the suggested price or they're paying more and paying it forward for someone mm. else. And 30% of our diners are paying less or volunteering for their meal. And so now the model has flipped and reversed, but um, that's okay. And and we will be fine because of the, the community model that we have because of the, the fact that so many people feel like a place at the table is their community cafe. So they're still showing up to get curbside. They're still donating online. They're still following us on social media and, and sending encouraging notes. So again, this you know, our cafe is only possible because of the greater community. Did that answer your question? I feel like I was kind of scared. No, absolutely. Yeah. No, I think it's, it's, I think right now it's, it's sort of a, it's just sort of such a weird time where like you said a little earlier was that like every day is so different, especially for a company and just in the restaurant industry, right? It's just day to day is so crazy. Any restaurant who's, any restaurant who's saying that they are thriving in this is lying. You can't yeah. thrive in this. We still have all of our same bills. We still have our labor labor and staff that we're we're keeping on. We still have all the overhead with rent and utilities and, and well, well we that's that's also diners. the thing is that have you reached out or has this is this is the, always the issue is that these other companies it's always like the restaurants and the community and the people, but it's never like these big sort of entities that share in the communal effort, right? It's like right now what you're doing is literally like helping the community survive, yet you still have to pay your landlord. You still have to pay your light bill, right? Like you still have to pay your electricity or your gas, whatever. And it's like all these other loans we're giving out, all these other things. It's like, there's some simple things that, you know, I feel like the States could say, or the cities even, it's like, look, Everybody is sacrificing right now. Yeah. You as an electricity company have to do the same thing, right? It's like, we need to get through this together. Like go 30 days and allow these businesses 
to not have to pay and not be penalized for it, right? It's just like everybody needs to sacrifice a little something. And I mean, it just we are a hundred percent losing money. There's no oh, there's no way there's no money. way to make money. You're just trying to survive, right? You're just trying not to bleed out. <laughs> we are just surviving. And and in all honesty, I, I consider us really fortunate and and we're we're lucky again because of the community um that's been so supportive of us. We I I refuse to lay my staff off. I'm not doing it. We I will go down fighting and I will we will lose every dollar in our account because I, I it's not my fault. It's not my staff's fault that they mm-hmm. chose to work for us during a pandemic, right? right? So I I will go down fighting for them and we will continue to fundraise. We will continue to push curbside. But yeah, this is I think everyone is taking a hurt in this. And, and, and I say that, I say that too. I mean, people will be laid off from the, from, you know, progress energy people, our landlord yeah. will lay people off. So For sure. every company will have some sort of loss in this. But those, no one, no yeah, but really those companies, but, those companies can apply though, right. For these, right. these forgiveness sort of loans where if you keep your, people on you will get paid for that right so there's ways that they they can sort of you can furlough people right you could do these things but you know a lot of these especially bigger companies are gonna get funding to try to keep everybody employed yeah or you know furlough them and then bring them back and there's Not a, our little companies. exactly that's the, the and that's and that's the the issue is that hopefully I know there is some stuff that you guys can apply for, like small businesses and, and these other little things, but it's it's then it's just like you have so much else to do right now. It's like now well, I have to like apply and it's just crazy. Well, in all honesty, I mean, I did apply. I applied for the, the CARES Act and, yep. and and so did one of my closest friends as a for I applied as a nonprofit, she applied as a for profit. I have not heard back, but she got denied because Wells Fargo said that they already ran out of all their funding and, and she applied on the day that it was released. So, you know, I applied with a small bank and who knows if that will get that, but that's huge. I mean, right. We were both really excited that we could potentially have a month's time to totally payroll overhead, all the things. And we, we were kind of, thinking that we would get that. And so if that isn't possible, if if the government doesn't find a way to add more money to that, then a lot of small businesses will fail. And and I am kind of tired of people saying there's so many resources out there. there sure yeah. there are, but how do you get them? Exactly. That's that's the thing is that it's it's never as as easy as they say it is, it's never that easy, right? No. It's, it's, it's like, never going to be like that. Write the script for me because I can tell you my application was perfect. So how, how, what company are they choosing if the money is already it, out? And that's, the, it's like what company is such a value to the community where it's like $10,000 to you is going to go much further and be an investment in that community than go to another and I'm not saying one company's better than the other, but like at the end of the day, some companies are better than others, right? And like a community no, right. needs them more, right? You're like, totally right. Is and the I Jiffy Lube down the street going to get the, the money? Like, okay, we don't need another five-minute oil change place. Like, why should they get money over like somebody like you? There needs to be some type of priority and structure to like 
what businesses are absolutely essential to if you're if the city and state are telling you you are an essential business to be open then how are you not an essential business to survive through this right and you get some sort of funding so sorry for my well, rant. i appreciate you saying that <laughs> if you want to go ahead and call up trump that'd be great <laughs> i'll back you so let's let's go back to to another thing uh you spoke about earlier and that was sort of your initial gravitation to just like volunteering right at you know the soup, the normal soup kitchen models right yeah and that that sort of experience there obviously you saw a lot of things that were good but then there were some things that were bad or some things that you thought that could improve right did you ever speak to people like there about like how you can make it like a normal soup kitchen better or was it like there were just so busy and inundated every day they couldn't think about making things like different or better or they were they strapped yeah. by government funding and be like look you have to do it like this right you cannot change yeah what we have built and things like that so soup kitchens what i like what i found is what's so great about all of our communities are we all have a place right soup kitchens have a place they do amazing essential work they're feeding hundreds of people an hour mm-hmm. Their mission is not community. Their mission is not bringing people together. Their mission is to feed the, yep. the the most vulnerable population, be food insecure in the community. I mean, we one in five people in Wake County are food insecure. And so soup kitchens are essential to our whole community. But what I found was our mission was not to create another soup kitchen because there's already an organization doing that. There's no reason to repeat that, but it was to do something completely different. That would be a hand up first a hand out. So a hand up for people who are who are food insecure, who are searching for um, a place to be a part of. Our main mission is to provide community and good food for all regardless of means. And we do that through eating together. We have large community tables where people can sit and share meals. And it's just super dignified, as well as volunteering together, where you've got someone who who lives in low-income housing with five kids doing dishes with you know my mother who is middle class and and doing just fine right and they're they're washing dishes together and they're having conversation and they're creating this community that we all need in our life um i think we're all searching to be a part of something everyone is and, and so if a place at the table could be that place for people to be a part of um then it just has a different mission than just than not just being a soup kitchen, that's not the right way to say it, but it has a different mission than than giving out food to the mass amounts of people. So we're filling two needs. Yes, the food insecure, every, people are hungry, but also that community insecurity where people are just searching for something to be a part of. Do most people that, like everybody on staff is volunteers? Like when no. you guys have your normal- Oh, dear God, that would no. mean we have no overhead. Um, <laughs> And it would mean we would have already failed. Um, we knew that our food and experience had to be good because gotcha. one, all people deserve that. Yep. Two, because people, all people will come out once for a good cause, but they'll come out again if mm. the experience is good. So we have a full-time chef who's culinary trained, grew up in New Orleans, uh, makes a mean, mean red, yeah, right? Mean red beans and rice is just like phenomenal human. We have a general manager. So we run like any other restaurant that has a manager. Wow. We have five, we call them sous chefs. So we have five sous chefs. 
if two baristas who can make you that pretty latte art heart in your coffee right. that I've been trying to do for two years, still haven't done it. <laughs> Such I think a I'm I think I'm going to use this pandemic time to learn how go. to do a latte heart. In, 100%. In, or, yes, a coffee heart. Well, that, that barista should do a training course on that. They, you know what? They have, and I still can't do it. I, <laughs> I, I just don't think I should add that to my resume. Okay. Um, but we do. Our staff, they're awesome. This is their this is their full-time job. They they make above minimum wage, or not minimum, they, excuse me, they make above living wage. Um, and so they have health insurance. This is, this is wow. where they are. This is where they're staying. They, we had some joke the other day about, I said, or our barista said, so who's a lifer in here? And I was like, a lifer? They're like, who's here for life? And so like several of them raised their hands and that's not, that's not true, but they are all committed to the sure. mission and to the job. I, I, I even, I said to them, I said, don't worry, I will make sure you get taken care of during this, this pandemic. But if, if you are anxious to come to work, tell me and we if it's, right. if it's any of us, then we will not open if you are the priority. And they all said, No, Maggie, we have to, we need to, we need to be here. We need to feed people. We need to smile at people through the window. We we're a needed place. And so they, they show up every day. And it, and it, and you said that you're almost serving, you're serving more people now, right? More than like, ever. And like, I would not, I would say we are serving five times as many people as usual. Wow. Wow. And that's from, is that, you said five days a week now? We just moved five days a week starting this week from, we're about, they're about six or seven hours a day. And, and they're doing this right now. I, I tell you this just because it's really interesting. We are in a hoodless kitchen so if you are a restaurant person you understand this hmm. we don't have a hood we don't have a stovetop we don't have ovens we have all equipment that can be used in like my bedroom gotcha. you can plug it in we've got an a, a convection oven the size of an easy bake oven it's tiny <laughs> it can bake two pans at once we've got panini makers waffle makers all things that a microwave all things that don't require a hood system or ventilation and our staff is awesome because they do everything they do everything chef prepared everything's homemade and they do it all in that kitchen and so now we're uh, about five times ser serving about five times as many meals as we do and they're doing it in this baby kitchen i don't know how they're doing it i don't cook but right. i all i know is they're phenomenal <laughs> uh i i mean i once i started reading more about the model. I've heard of the model before kind of in passing a little bit and just didn't get the time to deep dive into it. But I'm, I'm falling in love with it as we're as we're talking. And as as this sort of pandemic hopefully passes here, you know, within due time in the future is what do you want to sort of the legacy to be for a place at the table? Do you want to, to go to, is there other cities in North Carolina where it's like, you know, maybe, maybe this city needs a place at the table, right? And, and maybe there's a, a few more locations eventually, right? We're talking five, 10 years. Is the model scalable in that sense where you could take it to different, to different cities and sort of implement this model and kind of be, you know, the framework for like, this is how this thing can scale, right? Like this yeah. is the traditional model of a sort of a restaurant can change and can be successful. Yeah, thanks for asking that. Um, absolutely. We we 
I know that I am not the one that will go and open up a pay what you can cafe in Kansas City. It, that's not me. It, it took me four years to to do this, and so I, I and and what I realized in that is that it comes out of the community you're in. It ha you it has to come out of the people and and just the the community that makes it. Great and point. so, but what I do know it also is that we have developed this awesome cafe and we are incredibly fortunate to have really built a lot of these tools that then we can pass and share to other people to do. So I get a lot of calls a week, really truly a week from people saying, I saw your model. I want to open one in New Jersey and in, in LA, all these different places. And, and can you come do it? And I say, no, but we'll help you, right? Here, take our business right. plan, take our financial totally. plan, take our yep. budget, yep. take our staffing plan and and read through that. Then let's jump on the phone and let's yep. talk through this. Um, currently working with uh, about 20 to 30 miles away in another town cafe and and I'm working, I'm on their, their vision team and working with them to help them shape what their cafe will look like as well. So do I think that I'm the person that's going to go open these cafes? No, but do I think that a place at the table can have a big role in helping other cafes open? Yes, because we've done it. Why reinvent the wheel when when you can just use what we did and 100%. and go from there? Because you know the people, you right. know the politicians, you know the yep. the nonprofit. So that's a great point. That's a great point. Well. I appreciate you taking the time. I know it's it's hectic and it's uh every day's a is a new journey, you know, for you guys. So I, I hope the rest of the week is is great. And I'm you know, obviously the rest of the month, hopefully at the end of this month, maybe there's a little bit more optimism to to what you know the next few months will be like and then the next year. So I just wanna say thank you for all you're doing. I mean it's you guys and and sort of the nurses and doctors and firefighters, police officers, it's just, you guys are on the front lines of this. And it's like, without all of you working and, you know, sacrificing, like we would not be able to see a light at the end of the tunnel. So I appreciate you and your whole staff, like tell them I said, thank you. And, and you know, there's people just not in North Carolina that appreciate this, right. And what they're doing. And it's, uh, it's a beautiful thing to see. It, it, it makes uh, it makes us proud to to be human beings, to be Americans right now, and to be you know global citizens because we're all dealing with this, right? It's such a rare thing where globally we're all sort of in this same odd position. Yeah. <laughs> so again, thank you so much, and I hope you have a great rest of the week. Yeah, thank you, thank you so much. I appreciate you taking the time to chat.